0: And welcome to this week's MHTV. Tonight we're talking about sexual safety in mental health settings. I'm here tonight with my regular um colleague, Nikki, who I'll Nikki will introduce herself. Hi,
1: in I'm, on, I'm on social media tonight. So if you need anything, if you want to ask any questions, um we're on hashtag MHTV on Twitter and we're on the live stream as well. So please um um, ask any questions you want, and um, if I'm looking down, it's not because I don't love you, it's because I'm trying to read screens. Right,
0: Vanessa? Thanks, Nikki. So we've got um, some interesting guests tonight. We're going to be talking about sexual safety from a lived experience perspective of inpatient settings. We're going to be talking... Um, from the perspective of, of managing wards where sexual safety is an issue and we're going to be talking from a broader national perspective about the work that's been done in this area and some of the standards and things. So I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves and I'll start with Amanda if that's okay. Hi, uh, my name's Amanda
2: Godley and uh, I'm a service user representative working on, on Upnor Ward in uh, Priority, Priority House in Maidstone, Kent. It's a mixed acute ward with Kent and Medway NHS and Social Care Partnership Trust. Um, I have lived experience of being an inpatient on an acute mixed ward during a psychotic episode I experienced whilst I'm well. And I'm also an artist and an art therapist. Thank you.
0: Brilliant. thank you and welcome. It's great to have you here with us. And um it's Rich- good to be here. Great. And then um, Rachel, over to you next.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Rachel Diaz. I'm award manager on a women's low secure service within the Sussex Partnership NHS Trust. So um, I'm proud to be part of this collaborative and uh, proud of the work that we've been doing.
0: Thank you. It's great to have you here with us as well
3: tonight.
0: Thank you. And uh, thank you. And finally, over to Kate.
4: Hi, I'm Kate Lorimer. I'm a quality improvement coach with the National Collaborating Centre for Mental Health. Um, And we're currently running a national sexual safety collaborative. Uh, Both uh, Rachel's ward and um, Amanda's ward are part of that collaborative. Um, And we are a a joint sort of uh, enterprise between Royal College of Psychiatrists and University College London. Uh, And we run the mental health safety improvement programme more broadly.
0: I'm also a psychotherapist by background, so have a lot of experience working with sexual trauma and that sort of thing. That's great, and thanks. It's great to have you with us, and look forward to hearing more in a minute. Amanda, um, can we go over to you first of all? Yeah, sure. Are you happy to just give um, a bit of an overview of what sexual safety is and what some of the issues are from your point of view?
2: Yeah, uh, certainly. So I'm talking about sexual safety on an acute ward from the point of view of a service user. Um, Sexual safety, as defined by the Tavistock and Portman NHS Foundation Trust, refers to the recognition, maintenance and mutual respect of the physical, including sexual, psychological, emotional and spiritual boundaries between people. My experience when I was a patient on an acute ward was that I had no sense of my own sexual safety and that my physical needs were high. I needed to be held close, to be hugged, to feel safe. When my new partner took me to the hospital to be admitted to the acute ward, all I could do was was to hold the psychiatrist who admitted me. I was frightened and she hugged me as I held on to her because I was until I was ready to let her go and settle into my new environment for a brief period. There was a sense of being on high alert with high anxiety and panic attacks. Adrenaline ran high being on the ward, not understanding what is going on, and with a sense of fight or flight heightening my senses. And contrary to this, the need for reassurance everything to be okay and safe desperate to feel better to feel okay sometimes physical closeness brings a sense of security and fulfills a need but this was not available to me on the ward as loved ones came to visit for short periods of time and there was and were not there around me when i needed them i longed for physical contact and for the intimate relationship i had with my then new partner I was vulnerable with a history of sexual abuse, but had no sense of my vulnerability. It wasn't until a male nurse advised me to lock my bedroom door at night that I started to realise that the sense of security that, that I felt while being confined on the ward wasn't real and that I needed to take some personal responsibility for my own personal safety, sexual safety. Yet, with pheromones running high, as our emotions were on high octane on the ward, a mixed ward, is it easy to see how inappropriate sexual behaviours could be acted out. Thankfully, while I was a patient, I was not exposed to any inappropriate behaviour from others and was kept safe. But it is easy to understand how easily these situations can happen. For others on the ward who may... Have had a history of abuse and inappropriate sexual relations, they may have felt full of fear and anxiety that history would repeat itself and be very sensitive to any behaviour from others that is inappropriate. And for some of us sexually inappropriate and or disinhibited behaviour comes with the territory of our mental health, Many of us have been abused and our mental health conditions may in part stem from early abuse. So abusing ourselves, being a vulnerable to abuse from others and putting ourselves at risk is a trajectory of the path we are on. Inappropriate behaviours and boundaries we know all too well. To turn this around we need to realise and acknowledge that something wasn't right in our histories and to do this we need to feel safe, to trust and be able to open up and talk about things that we may never have told a soul growing up or indeed in adulthood. We need to have help putting, inappropriate ba- putting appropriate boundaries in place. There needs to be communication, conversations and talking and no taboos to open up wounds to give them a chance to heal, whether through art, poetry, creative writing, drama or just plain talking. Being on the ward needs to be the start of such a journey where we not only feel, but also be kept safe from further trauma and harm with appropriate boundaries and care. And we need to be protected from sexual harassment
0: and abuse. Mm. That's my statement Mm wow it's quite stunning really isn't it I mean there's just so much in that and thank you you know for sharing that so honestly Mm because I'm sure that it resonates with a lot of people and we don't often hear uh, you know we don't often hear from the perspective of what it's like to be on an acute ward and some of the issues and I don't know about everything else but the thing that leaps out from me for me is about boundaries you talked a lot there about boundaries didn't you both in terms of being able to um you know, maintain your own boundaries, but also still have that human connection with people, but being safe. And I know you mentioned there about personal responsibility, um, but that also raises the issue of of times when people can't take personal responsibility, doesn't it? For their own boundaries and behaviours. Yeah, I think you know one of the key
2: um, sort of jobs for um, you know staff on the wards uh, are to um, put in place boundaries that that we may not have experienced ourselves growing up or in adulthood appropriate boundaries, um, you know, and uh, I think you know I think that's I think I think that's a challenge, you know, for, for everyone to it's a challenge for staff themselves, I think, to be able to, you know, to be able to do that because everyone has their own personal histories. And, um, you know, so I think it's, uh, uh, and, and it is such a taboo subject
0: um, that it is, it is difficult. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about um, being encouraged to, um, to lock the ward because um, I used to be a ward manager many years ago um in the days when we had mixed wards and also um when we had dormitories rather than rooms so there wasn't the option then for people to lock the door and when we very when we first started having rooms people still weren't encouraged to lock the door because the doors were you know structurally in a way that if they locked the door and um, the staff couldn't get in if um you know to, to keep people safe on a personal level so I guess in some ways, some things have changed environmentally, but the same issues, you know, remain, don't they? Yeah. Um, I, I really, I mean, at that that point
2: in time, I really had no idea that I might be at risk until yeah. until you know the nurse said to me about locking the door, and it was like the penny dropped. Oh my goodness me! You know, somebody could come into my room,
0: and, yeah. uh,
2: You know, in the in the night or whenever, um, and um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think when you're unwell, you just, you're in such a world of your own, you know, especially when you're psychotic or, you know, um, you're in such a world of your own, you have no idea of what's really going on around you. Um, And also, I think, you know, as I said about is high anxiety, panic attacks, this sort of high adrenaline, fear, all this kind of, all these emotions going on that kind of really stir people up. And, you know, it does lead to kind of like pheromones running high, you know. So it's yeah. a kind of, you know, it, it's a sort of environment that's absolutely right for people to be acting out sort of inappropriate sexual behaviours um, yeah. um, in some sense, you know. Yeah. So, uh,
0: um, yeah 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 so much there nikki um i'm just gonna come over to rachel in a second to talk from a ward perspective but before i do are there any comments that you want to make or things coming through on social media um on social media people are showing
1: interest in the subject and talking about their own experiences a little bit so i think it's probably better to to let that settle down and and see if people actually have any yeah. um, questions yeah. for for um Fantastic, panel, and thank you very much, Amanda. That was really helpful to understand. What a good way of sort of getting the the, yeah. the debate absolutely grounded front and center. That was really yeah, absolutely,
0: and you. it was great that we started with our perspective, Amanda, as well. I think. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, thank thank you very much. Thank you yeah. for listening. Okay, Rachel, do you want to give um, more of a world clinical perspective on on things from your point of view?
3: Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, I think it's really important. We recognize that um, working in uh, forensic healthcare and within the women's service, that a lot of individuals that we work with um, have traumatic experience historically in their life, and and, and the recognition that that the ward should be a safe space for both the patients and the staff within that environment. But but also from a recovery perspective, we were doing a lot of work. with with the patient group around um, maintaining safety when reintegrating into society from a recovery perspective and I think that we wanted to um, ex- expand that uh, and formalize that through becoming part of the uh, collaborative um, um, we weren't experiencing high levels of um, uh s- sexual safety incidents yeah. but I, I think that we we certainly are, are aware that we are not wanting to reinforce trauma uh, and that some individuals that um life styles that they have um had uh have have maybe not um enabled them to have um uh awareness of of, um, potential risks. Um, There's always a a fine balance between um, how we communicate maintaining safety and not wanting to reinforce that the person is responsible for what's happened for them. So um, Mm -hmm. the team were very enthusiastic uh, to get involved because I think... The other thing we were very aware of is that we are in an environment with two male wards and I would never say that a, a single-sex ward um, should make the assumption that, uh, single, that, that sexual safety is um, not something you need to consider within a single-sex ward either, but certainly we were looking initially at uh, interactions that were going on between the patient groups in the grounds of the hospital, mm-hmm. and that people were maybe placing themselves in vulnerable situations um, with with regards to that, and, and the importance that any relationships that were forming uh, between uh, either male and female or, or same-sex relationships that were forming um, were done from a consensual and balanced and equal perspective. Um, there was no coercion involved. So there was a lot of work that we were doing prior to joining the collaborative that we wanted to um, continue, but we also wanted to learn from being part of the collaborative as well. Yeah,
0: thank you. It's really interesting. I mean, it's so complex, isn't it? I mean, like I was saying, in the days when I used to manage the wards, there was this massive assumption, really, that if we went single-sex wards, that would kind of be the end of it, as far as sexual safety goes um and you know it just wasn't something that was even talked about or even on the agenda then um so it's obviously massively positive isn't it the way things have moved forward but there's still clearly a lot of issues and the issue you mentioned about consent such a complex issue isn't it around um you know people being in hospital because of their mental health and when somebody can give consent and when they can't and the sort of balance between paternalism and um and actually protecting somebody yeah. and making sure they're safe so absolutely yeah.
3: the capacity issues the safeguarding issues, yeah. and 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 the importance of having those open conversations um if you if we make the assumption that a single sex environment will not be a uh, potential risk then we are, uh, not considering that possibility and, and I guess the conversations that we need to have are maybe not able to happen as a result.
0: Yeah the other issue um, that you touched on really is about staff as well because mm. again... Losing you there a not bit. It's something mm. that Vanessa. in the past was talked about much but can you hear me? Am I going go in. Say minute. again, Vanessa. <laughs> can you hear me? I think you were saying
1: that in the past we um, didn't talk about it as much, but I think in the past there was this. Um, I see. In the yeah. past makes it sound like I'm grandma. <laughs> back in the back in the nineties. Back in the day, grandma, that's what I'm talking
0: about.
1: Um, yeah. we, we came from a place where like the water towers and that kind of like yeah. expectation asylum culture was it was just red, and I can remember being a um, nursing assistant in a, an, a very old school. Um, mm old-fashioned old, old asylum-style hospital. And um, I can remember my first day, somebody came back and they'd had um, sex for basically a cigarette. And nobody thought that that was odd. They thought it was, an, it was sad and it was a nuisance, but nobody thought that it was a crime. Yeah. And um, I can remember coming in with my my um, perspective as a person instead of as a nurse or a nursing yeah. assistant. And you realise how corrupting those kinds of cultures of acceptance are you know and i think there are still now people who genuinely find it difficult to get their heads around the fact that a place where somebody is confined by law isn't safe absolutely and i think when the cqc report came out and i'm sure that's what we're going to get to in a second um, and there were loads of people who were like what is this it yeah. doesn't make any sense we all try so hard and you know we we do we want it to be lovely because we're trying to do a good job and that's not how it's always experienced and i think that that still is something that a lot of people really struggle. To get their heads around and take very personally when this is actually um a sort of human rights, safety, legal issue, as well as you know, the very basic human connection needs that we all, all have to go through as well.
0: Yeah. I but think there's you're so right. many different aspects to this. It was a massive elephant in the room, wasn't it, for a long time, I think, in men, in mental health and probably just hack back to the sort of Victorian culture of, you know, not talking about sex and mental health as well. So um mm. Yeah, I mean, I think on that note, Kate, it'd be good to bring you in to talk a little bit about the background of where, you know, where this came from in terms of the CQC and the work that's happening now, if that's OK. Yes, absolutely. Um,
4: so I think so much of what's been said uh, by by Amanda and Rachel and, and you, Nikki, it really highlights all the reasons why this work was so necessary Um, The CQC report was published in 2018, and it was titled Sexual Safety on Mental Health Wards. And essentially, uh, in a nutshell, it's suggested that sexual safety incidents on mental health wards were commonplace. And like you mentioned, Nikki, there was a sort of acceptance to some extent that this is the sort of thing that happens. It's the sort of thing that you subject yourself to as a staff member on those wards. But also, very importantly, it was... It was not spoken about as something that people um, going into services, believing that they were going to be protected and cared for and helped to recover, understood mm-hmm. or, or even expected in some ways um, that, they, that they may find themselves at risk and actually the potential sort of re-traumatization. Um, so we've touched on a number of things in the conversation so far that have come about as a result of the work we've then done. Um, So that CQC report led to NHS England and Improvement commissioning um, our team, the National Collaborative Centre for Mental Health, um, to run this sexual safety collaborative. Um, The collaborative had sort of three main objectives, and it was part of a broader mental health safety improvement programme that's been running for some time addressing key areas of patient safety and mental health settings Uh, and the three main objectives were um, for this collaborative were to develop a set of standards national standards that would be relating to sexual safety on inpatient settings both mental health and learning disability pathways Um, and for that those standards that would be accompanied by guidance um, that would then be supported through, uh, to, to be implemented by a quality improvement collaborative that then runs as a sort of add-on to these standards to, to help certain te- well, a number of teams across the country to implement those standards in, and we'll find ways through quality improvement methodology to um, to improve the experience of sexual safety for, for people on, on wards. And, and it includes, very importantly, it's not just something for... Staff uh, for patients, it's for staff and visitors, it, it includes all of that. And that's one of the things the CQC report highlighted, was that this is not an issue just for patients necessarily, it's staff and, and visitors to wards as well. Um, and the third thing that the collaborative will do is over time, over the course of the collaborative, as we sort of work with all these wards to, to kind of develop a theory about what works to, to improve sexual safety, is to produce a library of resources Um, will build on that best practice that can then be sort of rolled out ideally more widely um, across uh, to other wards um, in in the trusts that are involved, but also more broadly across across the country. So um, that's where we are um, in terms of how we've started it. But the guiding principle for, for all of that is that all people on mental health wards should feel safe from sexual harm. And I think it's an important concept, the idea of sexual harm, because some of the criticism around this work might be that it's not as simple as just saying, you know, sexual safety and what does that actually mean? But actually we're talking about a perceived and and quite often subjective individualised perception of harm. And and that might be different for for every person, depending on your background, depending on your experiences, depending on your symptoms, you know, um, any number of things. So um, it's really about what, Helps people to feel safe, and what they experience is harmful. Um, sexual safety incidents, when they do occur, are obviously um, extremely distressing for people. They can have a huge impact on recovery and long-term outcomes. As we've talked already, there's often a history of um, sexual abuse for mental health patients, um, and so it's really important that we think about about all of those. Those areas and the, and the interplay between them. So we've we've come up the standards have developed a sort of set of domains or a number of standards that have sort of been grouped into a set of broad domains that refer to sort of different areas of, of service provision and care. Um, it's important also to mention that those standards were co-produced. They, uh, the whole the whole thing was was set up through an expert reference group that included people with lived experience, um, Mm -hmm. staff working on inpatient settings, and other experts, academics and clinical staff um, in sexual safety. Um, And the domains focus on um, seven broad areas, as I said. Um, I can can list those, but I I don't know how helpful that is (laughs) necessarily for this sort of setting, but it's Mm -hmm. essentially about, I think one of the most important ones is understanding the needs of the individual and responding to those individually. Mm So it's things like person-centred care. It's about improving organisational culture, as we've just talked about, Um, you know, making sure that these things are talked about, that there's a very different way of dealing with it. Um, It's access to information and resources and education. Um, It's multi-agency working in collaboration. It's really important to bring in other agencies and have a really sort of robust response to sexual safety incidents um and obviously incident recording and data analysis is an important part of that as well uh, and staff training um and sort of supporting skills development etc so um that kind of covers uh my view on kind of what sexual safety is and just the broader context of it and, and where the sort of work of the collaborative is headed.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah Nikki um Interesting interesting questions come up about uh, documentation, and I never thought I'd say those words, but I am. Now I stand by it. It is an interesting question, and thank you very much for sharing it. I appreciate you asking me to not, not um, name you, but um, hopefully this is going to get you the answer to the question, is that someone is asking, um, how can there be equality when um, documentation is different for service users and staff? And the point that they're making is a really good one, which is when you record, for, and I guess this is looking at their trust, when you record an incident that a service user reports, it's, it's recorded as an allegation. And when a staff member makes a report around um, um, a sexual safety incident, it's taken as gospel. And I think that's a really interesting point because it's pulling on a lot of the important strings that, we are, that this is all bound up in, isn't it, around power and control and being a witness to your own body. Absolutely. If mm. oh, there's a crack at it, go
3: ahead. <laughs> can, I, I think that it's, mm. is it's how people feel and I would hope that we are progressing day by day to not making assumption um, based on whether somebody is a staff member or a patient. Mm. Absolutely.
1: I know that... Um, is it Camden Nisling Trust have reviewed all their reporting mechanisms, so everybody reports on the same document, and it's absolutely about taking away this experience of somebody coming forward and reporting something, and then half depending on who you are being um, treated differently um, when you report. And I think that's a really, a really positive step forward. So kudos to those mm-hmm. guys. I think the
0: incident, yeah, the incident reporting issue is interesting historically, isn't it? Because I know certainly, um, you know, from attending sort of risk groups and stuff in the past, that there was this assumption that the areas that report the most incidents are the areas that have got the most issues. But actually, as we alluded to with, you know, when Kate was talking about organisational culture, it's often the opposite, isn't it? That the areas that aren't reporting things are the areas, you know, that you need to be more concerned about. And actually, you know, it's really important to be transparent and report everything really? and investigate everything. And as you say, listen to everybody and not make an assumption that just because somebody's unwell, um, you know, that they don't have a right to be safe or that um, you know, what they're reporting isn't isn't credible. Um, so I think it's yeah, it's a really important issue. And I do think it it does relate to kind of Historical practices, unfortunately, in, in mental health, doesn't it? And
3: is Kate gonna going there. to come in there? I
0: think it'd be good.
4: Sorry, I was I was just going to say Vanessa that one of the key standards that we, that is included in the in the guidance is is um, very much about believing people in the first instance. That is that's okay. a key aspect of, of sort of how we change the culture around this. The mm-hmm. I mean, we also talk. Uh, and, and we do in, in terms of the quality improvement side of things, we're measuring feelings of safety and we're measuring that in the same way for both staff and service users. So um, so we're not sort of, we've not got a separate way of recording that or looking at that and that, that wouldn't be, you know, that would be counterproductive to the aims of the collaborative. So, um, yeah, I, I think believing people and not, um, not making assumptions based on diagnosis or symptoms. Yeah.
1: It's really important. Yeah. And I've got a question from a student. Um, how is COVID impacting your work? Mm, good question. <laughs> mm. Is that for for anybody who yeah. wants to, to come in on it? Because I mean this is a yeah. project's been ongoing for a little while, hasn't it?
3: I, 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 I know that some some practicalities. Yeah. Obviously, there was a, a, a big push for um safety from a from a uh COVID perspective. At the outbreak, and I think a lot of clinical environments had a lot of energy in there. I think um, we have had to make some changes in regards to meeting processes, and it has slowed things down because there have been restrictions on leave that have been brought in with the government. As a service, we've tried to be as least restrictive as we can within government li- guidelines, but it has. Um, brought a group of people into a relatively closer environment. So that's raised mm. areas of, of, of feeling among the individuals, both staff and patient. And, and um, we've had to address that. We'll mm. move forward. So.
4: More broadly, um, on the collaborative, it, it's, had a, it's had a massive impact, actually. I mean, just on a sort of a broad scale, we actually had to suspend the collaborative for the period of time that people were having to deal with the immediate and fast-paced changes that they needed to make. Um, So we've had a pause on on how how we measure and how we sort of collect data around around that. Um, Some wards have had to keep working on on these issues and particularly uh, some of them sort of became far more pressing in some ways. An example is um some wards in East London Foundation Trust, uh Ruby and Ivory wards, where they they were a unit on the collaborative working together as two wards, but one of the wards was closed and turned into a COVID ward um for the duration of the, of the last few months. Um, and Ruby ward became a mixed sex ward where, whereas previously it had been a so that had a huge impact on the work that they'd already started, but it also had a huge impact on their increased anxiety around safety yeah. and, you know, the needs of both staff and and services. So, Um, they were really quick to try to adjust kind of how they how they were working they carried on collecting data because they recognized that there was a really important need to to keep this alive and and talked about they carried on talking about it in in, um, community meetings and on the agenda and they Put in place some very sort of uh, sort of careful sort of processes on admission, where they would screen people on admission. They would respond very quickly to incidents, etc. So they they did a fantastic job of actually keeping this at the forefront of their minds, given the changes they had to make as a result of COVID. Um, And that, but it's it's varied across across the collaborative. We work with um, we work with fifty seven teams across, which includes seventy four wards in total, and, and have, have really not been able to look at this work uh, and others have found ways to keep going. So. Yeah, but it's back on now. It definitely with, is. With it's back up again in September in
1: full force. That's brilliant. That's really good to hear. I have one more and then perhaps we um, can go back because we're already uh, halfway over now. Yeah, so yeah. Um, It's recognised that mental health services have really poor estates with older buildings. What needs to happen to make the MH estate uh, keep people safe. So, again, I think that's touching on things that a couple of people have mentioned about the fact, you know, that maybe there are still places with um, Nightingale Wards, um, but there were lots of other issues around so toilets being quite far away, people having to cross each other's sort of spaces. So, I, I wonder if anyone wants to, to take on that?
3: Um, I guess it's a difficult problem for me to answer because we are in a relatively new building I'm less than 20 years old and uh, purpose built and designed within yeah. rooms with locks that, that are ma- I've written on the inside that our patients have keys mm-hmm. to their rooms yeah. um, and uh, they don't have ensuite facilities but there's they are close, very close and uh, so it's difficult for me to answer but I think um, our environment I feel supports safety, uh, sexual safety. But um, I can imagine that those maybe older design areas would need um, significant work.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's worth saying about some of the older wards and the older buildings that are um, around in the Mental Health Trust that patients get quite attached to the old buildings and the old. Mm-hmm. The old cafe, the old, you know, the old hall that you meet, you know, um, and um, and actually there's a there's a huge sadness when when those buildings actually have to go to be um, rebuilt and redesigned because there's something a bit characterless and Mm. so very clinical and cold about a new. A new build, you know, um, quite often, and um, doesn't have the quite the same character as an old as mm. an old building. So I just sort of just wanted to say in defence of old buildings that it's it's not all it's not all uh, new is better. I don't think.
0: So. Mm. <coughs> in
2: terms of um, the work
4: across the the I, I, I sort of visit wards that are both. Um, you Know new and, and like you said, Rachel, and the, the built and sort of really have all the, the things that we, we think really should be in place. Um, but there are a number where there are still, still dormitory style accommodation, there's still mixed sex wars. they are completely uh inappropriate in that sense. Um, but but I think the important message is. That's important. That's essential that we try to work towards changing that. But that's been something we've been probably you know taking far too long. And there's recently in the press has been a, a lot of um, investment talked about it going into to eradicating dormitory style edu- um, accommodation. But um, but the important I, th- I think one of the important things to keep in mind is that this. This work is, is really about a holistic approach to addressing sexual safety. So it's very much about looking at the environment. It's looking at that from a trauma-informed perspective. So understanding how the environment impacts on, on people's histories of trauma, um, looking at the practicalities where, where there are safe areas, doing a review of, of all of those things, the unsafe areas, the area, the, the times of day where more incidents happen, etc. Um, so a lot of kind of a, and a much more holistic approach, thinking about it far more broadly from that trauma informed perspective, both in terms of the environment but also individual needs. Um, but it, it's absolutely something that still still needs work, and and it can be quite shocking when you see some yeah. of the other wards. Um, yeah,
1: so much yeah. variation. Um, on Twitter, at, uh, Rebecca Thomas is, is saying, thinking about um, removing denoultry wards should not be leading to a potential reduction in beds, which is absolutely right. And uh, at Section is adding in about, again, agreeing with the reduction of don't reduce bed numbers or too few beds already, but also talking about kind of mm-hmm. like mixed sex wards being slightly misnamed almost, because yeah. um, if women are outnumbered two to one by men, it's, it's not really a mixed ward. It's a male ward with a few women on it. And that, I think, feels very different for people. Those thank you very much for
0: those, those points. Yeah, one thing that I'm just wondering about just before we move on is about um whether the collaborative looked at um safety across the lifespan. So was it focused on adults or um is there a children yeah. and people aspect? And also does it look at older people as well in mental health settings?
4: Yeah, it's a really good question. And um, we are working across the lifespan. So we're working with children and young people's mental health boards. We're working with older adult and dementia boards, for example, uh, forensic learning Um So yes, it, it kind of covers the whole range of inpatient pathway. Um it's, and, and it's, and it is very different. So that the needs those different groups of people, for example, would be would be very different. So um, the wards, for example, the children, and young people's wards, are doing things quite differently um, to to the older, you know, the adult wards, um, yeah. intensive care settings as well. Um, so so there are there, there's a range, and and it's about tailoring the the work that they're doing to suit the environment. So, so it's not a you know one size fits all. Like, yeah. About learning from each other and finding ways that suit. So, for example, the way that we're measuring feelings of safety is done through a, a postcard um, mm-hmm. that gets sent, you know, sent well, given to each person on the ward, whether that's staff or uh, service user, and it asks about how safe they feel, uh, essentially. But we have easy read versions for children and young people's wards, and we have different ways to talk to them about sexual safety. Uh, and also for learning disability wards as well, where, where we've got a lot of visual sort of cues to p- promote that discussion. Um
0: yeah. Yeah, that's really positive. Good. Well, I'm conscious of the time, so I was just thinking um, because we've <laughs> covered so much already, haven't we? Um Amanda, um, should we come over to you now if that's okay, just to talk a little bit about some of the things that you're you're involved in there? I'm really interested in. Hearing about the co-production aspect of the collaborative as well, if you want to. Yeah, I've got of.
2: a, I've got an update of uh, what we're doing on uh, Upnor Ward together. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'll I'll far away with that. So I'm going to talk about uh, the 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 project on the ward I'm working on. Um, So I was invited to undertake the work of representing the voice of mental health service users and to help co-produce the Sexual Safety Collaborative Project on Upner Ward in Maidstone, Kent. Um, It's an acute mixed ward for adults and part of Kent and Medway NHS and Social Care Partnership Trust. Thus, so far on Upnor Ward, we've had involvement in the project from the matron, the ward manager, head of nursing, deputy director of quality and safety, the senior OT, the senior psychologist, our quality improvement coach, Kate, and the um, physical nurse, healthcare assistants, and me, an expert by experience. So the project's been embraced and the team are working hard to gather data, firstly by way of postcards, that Kate was talking about, um, ask both patients and staff if they felt sexually safe on the ward in the last 14 days, um, and secondly, by way of logging any incidents of sexual assault or sexual harassment. and This is so the data can be measured and analysed. Um, there's now um, a ward charter that's displayed clearly on the ward that outlines what behaviour is acceptable and what is not. So it's it's like ground rules that, 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 set, yes. that set out the, the, the what's expected of everyone. And this is also included in the welcome pack that the new patients receive on arriving at the hospital. Um, and we've added the topic of the community meeting Uh, to the community meetings and the staff meeting agendas as a rolling item um, and we're developing posters to display. Um, We considered using contracts with patients who act out inappropriate sexual behaviours but this idea was dismissed as it was felt that it doesn't work well as it leaves the staff nowhere to go if the contract breaks down. Um, Our occupational therapist, Nora, is working on an idea that was started in Lincolnshire and more recently has been adopted by the Metropolitan Police Service in venues across London to help prevent and reduce sexual violence and vulnerability. Um, By telling customers they can ask for Angela, they're being given a discreet code word that they can um, give to staff if they feel unsafe or threatened, Um, and posters making them aware of this will be displayed in toilets, and at the time of lockdown, the idea for this was being adapted by the ward to help patients to ask for help on the ward discreetly. during community meetings, the service users have been involved, uh, invited to be involved in their feed, and feedback their experiences and thoughts on sexual safety, both good and bad, in the meeting. However, there have been some hurdles to overcome as the new culture of openness around the subject of sexual safety has led to mixed responses, with some reacting in childlike ways, feeling embarrassed at the topic of sex being discussed, Um, Being such a taboo, it's hard to break down the barriers of shame and embarrassment. So, um, And this is equally hard for staff for whom there is a fear of opening up patients' wounds only to discharge and send them on their way with little or no support to deal with the issues at hand. Um, Another area of difficulty has been the acuity of the patients. How do you involve and co-produce a piece of work with patients who are acutely unwell? Mm. Um, this remains a challenge however for my part in the process of co-production as a service user representative i've very much been involved in the meetings and invited to every learning set at the royal college of psychiatrists and i found that my input has been greatly valued and listened to and my ideas acted upon Um, and at times i felt that i've been allowed to be a driving force in the project. And as a service user representative, I've been treated with respect and kindness. um, The same respect and kindness that staff show patients, which will in time enable them more unwell to be involved in co-production. And unfortunately, due to COVID-19, work on the project at Upnor Ward has been on hold since March, but it's due to restart in September. However, during the lockdown, work on a pamphlet that explains in simple language what sexual safety is, has been going on and is due to go to print soon. And this will be given to patients, visitors and staff to help inform them of sexual safety and the issues surrounding it. Um, it was inspired by a similar leaflet produced by Central and Northwest London that had been made available for other trusts to use as a template by... Um, our quality improvement coach and this pamphlet may be the first step in opening up conversations with someone who needs to talk so um thank you
0: some really brilliant work going on there isn't there and it's really good it strikes me how important it is that this is a collaborative with a you know because of the potential to to share this practice around the country which is obviously something we didn't do and in, in the past and just what you were saying about the challenges in acute settings where people are too unwell um, or assumed to be too unwell to get involved but i'm also thinking about the challenges about once people are well and they go home um can they stay involved in, in the collaborative? i mean you've given an example from your own experience where you've stayed involved is that quite common across the collaborative of people stayed involved or has it just tended to be more of um, a snapshot of um you know people's views while they've been still in acute settings so um across here my answer hmm. across the
4: collaborative um one one of our key the, the key features of the of successful project team is always about the co production aspect of it. We we yeah. really emphasise it. Um, so we what we ask of each team is that they have a service user representative on the project team. So as a core part of the sort of driving force behind all the, all the work, if they can. Um, it, where that's not been possible, and, and, and often that's done in different ways, so it might it might not necessarily be somebody who's who's on the ward at the time. It could be somebody who has experience of being on the ward or on a similar ward who works with the trust sort of more broadly around um, co-production. Um, and then in other examples, it, it might be somebody on the ward in, in that moment. Um, the other ways in which they do it is, is by holding sort of discussions and, and generating ideas together with, with service users on the ward. So that's that's always a part of it. It would always be encouraged. And things like the ward charter that Amanda mentioned, that's a requirement for every team on the collaborative to have in place. And they, they were asked to, to co-produce that charter so that it took account of the, the, the people on the ward at that time and um, how they felt they most you know wanted to to sort of set out their expectations about behavior and standards. Of care. So um so every team does do it in some way, but but sometimes it can be more um more of a
0: transitory thing and other times it's yeah. coherent as part of the project team. <coughs> um. Another question I was going to ask, and it looks like it's come through as a question as well, so that's fortuitous, was about cultural differences in terms of um the work and the, the good practice that's being done as part of the collaborative. But also I'm thinking I've been thinking from a co-production point of view, has there been good representation? of different groups as part of the collaborative and also is there particular work that you want to highlight that's happening around the country that's looking particularly at culture um, and cultural differences in terms of sexual safety? It's. Should I
4: answer? It's a key, yeah, key it's all right. standard in in the guidance. Uh, it talks very specifically about uh, taking account of uh, cultural differences, protected character- characteristics, all sorts yeah. of. Um, it the standards were developed as as I mentioned already with an expert reference group, but they were also consulted on by a uh, focus group, which included a number of um, different. People from different groups uh, across the whole inpatient pathway. Um, And they so so it's been very much a feature, and it's been a continuous feature throughout. It's something that we we talk about regularly within the project teams. It's something that we we think about as they, they, in terms of the change ideas that people are trying to, to implement. It's very much a part of it, um, and we try to encourage as much diversity um, of, of sort of input to those project teams as possible, both from a roles perspective, but also cultural backgrounds and you know social differences, protected characteristics,
0: etc yeah that's great and um nikki um it looks like you've got another question do you want to yeah
1: yeah this is what happens every single time guys we start off it's quiet and then as soon as we start going right (laughs) let's start wrapping it up everyone dives in yeah yeah. so thank you to alfonso for his question on cultural differences and this is one um on body cameras so for anyone who doesn't know there is research underway at the moment and some areas are using the kind of body cameras in the way that the police are, to um, to basically record people. And, and it's a really interesting, contentious, challenging question, which they want to ask you. So, well mm-hmm. done, everyone. If you want to answer it, have a go. If you don't feel like it's for you, always say. But basically the question is, um, is the answer to this um, body-worn cameras and CCTV um, in um, inpatient settings, and will this help keep people, keep
4: people safe? So... Um, have at it, <laughs> unless anyone else wants to. I'm happy to go for <laughs> uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it is a it's a it's a question that actually we get asked quite often. Um, so I haven't rehearsed an answer, but I have heard someone provide an answer to it before, um, and and it is a contentious issue. It's, it's, it's an issue that does divide um, sort of opinion, really. Um, it, it does have; it has had positive effects. To the, you know, some people will say that it does it does help reduce the use of restrictive practice or or whatever um, or, or incidents of this nature. Um, however, I think the question I'd be encouraging people to ask is, and this this does reflect my opinion. Obviously, uh, it may not be everybody's, but um, I'd be encouraging you to say. To ask what message you're providing by using a body worn camera and whether that sits with where we're trying to aim to get to in terms of a cultural change onwards and, um, you know, in terms of individualized, personalized care that takes account of um, people's past trauma, their all mm-hmm. sort of history and makeup, and whether that, um, whether. Whether the, the sort of practical solution of the body wall camera is, is really addressing all of that. Um it, it's a it's a question for, for people to answer sort of individually in their own services, depending on the setting and the context specifically. But um but in terms of what we're trying to promote, uh, it, it doesn't quite sit with that with that ethos, so I, I guess. Um
3: but that is an opinion. I I, I just wanted to say I'm aware that we're coming towards the close, but I'd just really like to emphasise that working together, staff and and patients, as a collaborative, has really been the strength of of this. Through our audit processes, we were seeing a lot of stuff that was coming back very similar uh, around environmental concerns out of the ward and in the community. uh, and we, we addressed a number of the concerns, literally by doing things like cutting the height of bushes, uh, mm. and and that was concerns for both staff and patients. And I think having that speaking the same language and having open discussions has been it's been the most helpful part of the collaborative. Yeah.
0: Thank you. I'm aware that, you know, we are kind of running over time, but I think it's important before we finish just to give all our panel the opportunity um, for final comments and also um, specifically comments on kind of where next with this work before we finish, if that's okay. Um, Rachel, just while you're talking anyway, is is there anything further that you want to add around the work that you're involved in and next steps and any other comments really on what we've been talking about tonight?
3: work together um, don't do to mm. this is this is something that is is been put in place yeah but for everybody's benefit and having those open discussions but don't make assumption because the protected characteristics of individuals or, or you know whether that's age um, gender sexuality um Et cetera, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, sorry. Um, you know, people's perception is is very different from an individual perspective. And if we make assumptions for them without asking that question, then we are not being fair to them, and we run the risk of of causing more trauma.
0: Mm, I think that's really important, and that's come through a lot, hasn't it? Around um, kind of not having a blanket approach, being individualized, and absolutely, about being trauma-informed and and personalised. That's a strong kind of theme that's come out tonight, I would say. Um, I'm thinking it might be good to um, to move to Kate and then um, Amanda, maybe for you to end as you started the session tonight. Um, Kate, any comments from yourself just in terms of the collaborative and next steps and anything else that you want to add before we finish as well? And I mean, we really have covered a lot of what,
4: what we might yeah. have talked about anyway, and, and certainly that the trauma informed aspect of this, I, I think would be my key message to anybody is understand what that means, understand how to provide trauma informed care, whether that's training whole staff groups or whether it's learning for yourself, what, what that means and how, how to sort of think about people's needs individually. Um, that that's key. But um, but in terms of the collaborative and next steps, we're as I said, we've paused, we're restarting in September. We're really looking forward to getting back up and running with this work where we've, where we've had to sort of pause. Um, and please have a look if you're interested um, at any of the resources for the collaborative. They, they, they're shared and they're made publicly available to, to everybody. Um, and they are on our website, um, which hopefully we can post a link to or something after this. Um I haven't I don't want to rattle off the website right now. Um but it's uh, that we have all the program documents and resources available on there and they'll be added to over the course of the collaborative. So every learning set that we provide where people come together to share learning, we'll provide all of the slides and resources publicly for, for everybody to to sort of gain. Um, so yeah that's as much as I
0: that's great. And um, if you send us the link afterwards, we'll post that on Twitter with the hashtag and we'll also put that on the Facebook live link as well. So people great. who are listening can access it that way as well. Thank you. Okay. Um Amanda, over to okay, you. I'll, I'll
2: be really I'll be really brief and I'll just say just keep talking. You know, we're not going to change the culture. Uh, mm. we're not, you know, without openness, honesty, and for you know everyone to keep talking to each other about you know about our stuff. You know, the stuff we carry that our experiences, um, you know, keep, keep, be open and, and take, take a risk of talk, you know,
0: talk, mm-hmm. talking, keep expressing yourself.
2: So okay. that's it.
0: That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's a critical message, isn't it? Really. If people are not feeling safe um, and people have concerns, that people do feel able to talk particularly people who, you know, who are in hospital, but also, as we've said, you know, staff as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, working in patient visitor, visitors, carers. Um, I think that's a good good um message to end on. Nikki, any final thoughts from you before we finish?
1: Maybe um I think, you know, with me with me too and with so many people who've had these um, awful, yeah. devastating experiences, just thank you so much for coming forward and saying that because we 're in a different place now we're having different conversations and by nothing we're not, we're not a place of perfection by any means but I think it's it's due to individuals bravery stepping forward and saying this isn't this happened to me and people then acting on it that's moved us forward we're in a place now where I don't think I could have imagined us being mm-hmm. 10 15 years ago and that's that's something to be proud of and pleased about yeah. and to to recognize that other people have paid for this discussion with their tears and their experiences. And that's really important to remember. Um, and I guess the, the the thing that I I think is different is the lack, there's a lack of complacency now. And if something is not good enough for you or for somebody you love, it's not good enough for anybody else either. Yeah. And I hope that we never go back to a place where just stuff happens, bad stuff happens and people work around it. You know, when bad stuff happens, that should be enough for us to down tools and do something different. So hopefully that's that's where we're heading. Thanks to yeah. you guys, actually, and the, and the work that you've, you've been engaged in, particularly during this absolute nightmarish year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, thank you. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you to everyone who's... Mm, um what a great well, panel. Yeah, I think it's been a really important conversation and um, probably something that we need to come back to as well at some point to find out kind of um, what progress is being made. And, you know, you're all welcome to come back to a future session. Mm. Um, I think it would be really interesting to continue this conversation and um, you know for people who've been listening on social media we hope we've answered your questions but Nikki and I do check in on the hashtag and on Facebook so if there's anything we've missed we will come back to you and um, you know we we can forward things to people who've been on tonight's panel as well so we'll end there and say thank thank you everybody and and we'll be back next week at the same time thank you good night. night 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 Thank uh-huh.
3: you.